Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. And we are here to talk about week four of, I was going to say, Future State again, which is a bad habit, of Infinite Frontier. Um, you should have said Infinite Horizon instead. Nope, I don't... I'm. Uh, what was the square drive we came up with for whenever Zach says that? It's just playing that Vertical Horizon song. Yes, I, I have to put the drop in whenever he says it. So that time doesn't count. It has to be when he's... When he's actually, you know, not thinking about You're it. You're never gonna do it. Uh, I have a piece of paper next to me, and I'm writing down on it. <laughs> you can hear me fake writing right now. You're, you're just drawing the penis guy from uh, <laughs> Lebowski. <Lebowski>? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, so uh, we have one, two, three, four, five books this week. And we're going to start with Action Comics number 1029. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, illustrated by Phil Hester. Uh, Zach, why don't you start us off? What did you think of Action Comics? I know that, that we were we were not as, um, as pro-Superman as we thought we'd be. Did Action Comics suffer a similar fate? I mean, this was much better than Superman by a large margin i think both in the main story and in the backup um it still like isn't hitting like what i wanted i think as like a two-part opener it's still pretty weak um but it was better it, it, it was it was much better I think that the way it resolves with, um, you know, we're, we're being teased that uh, John has knowledge from the future, that Clark is going to die soon, which, like, side note, I think is kind of dumb. I, I, just, I just don't love that just coming out of nowhere, really. I, I don't love that plot point, but whatever. But they, they avert the danger... Um, for now, it seems. So I, I do, I don't kind of like mind this, um, this kind of like lingering dread that's there that something, you know, bad could happen to Clark. Um, and I like the way that John is positioned at the end of the, at the end of the story. Um, and I'm, I'm invested in this world world stuff and, and Mongol and, and I liked the Phil Hester art mostly. Um, it was, I thought it was a little uneven in some parts, but I, I generally like it's kind of refreshing to me. Um, this is the good it, Phil Hester. Yeah, it, it feels like something out of like the early 2000s, which is, is fine. It has like a nostalgic feel to it. Um, the backup, I know we like, you know, slobbed all over Gleb, his his issue in Future State and, and weren't as in on Oming, but like, I feel like Oming like really nails it here. Um, I like the hook of this little this little midnighter backup. I'm I'm kind of excited to see where this goes. So yeah, I guess I generally am like much more positive on this issue than I was with the Superman issue. Vince? Um, I think I'm not quite there um with you, Zach, although I agree with a lot of what you said. Um <clears throat> I think I don't know that this is fair to the way that that Philip Kennedy Johnson's trying to tell this story, but I, I really felt like if you jammed that first Superman issue and this one together somehow and, and condensed it down into one that then maybe you're cooking with something. Um, and I think that, you know, that's a criticism of the first issue, but it's also a criticism of this one because I feel like this issue spends some time kind of regurgitating some of the same stuff from that, 
that first issue in a in a way that I didn't feel was additive. Um, you're you're not wrong. You're you're definitely. I agree with you. I wonder yeah. how much of that is protection against people not buying both issues. I'm not saying yeah, it's, know, I'm not saying it's smart. I'm just saying I wonder if that's how much of it was that. Yes, I I, I think you've got something there, and I I just think that that's not a great um, strategy. But that's you know, that's me. That. Um, but I, I I do like the writing, and I and I am warming up to to the idea of you know. Jonathan Kent seeing his father's weakness for really the first time. And I think some of the writing around that is really um, beautiful. I, I do think it's hammered over your head a little bit, um, but I think there are moments of really good writing there. Um, and I like the way that the narration, the, the narration is never telling you something that you see on the page. The art operates separately from whatever's being narrated and the narration is more about a feel or, or the or the experience Jonathan is maybe having seeing his father's weakness but not about literally what's happening on the on the page at any given moment that's a really I good think, observation yeah I think I think there's 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 some writers that um, you know do the opposite and we've we've criticized when the narration just describes what you're already seeing on the page and how it's unnecessary. But this is a way where they work in concert uh, really beautifully. I think we, um, we, I will say I definitely have critique writers for doing the same thing though. And it not being good. Um, doing I this and it I, not being good. Yeah. Like Tom King. Yes. I yeah. wasn't going to name names, but yeah, neither was I, but as long as you brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> But I, but I like the way it works here because it's it's sparse and it's not the thing that again not to talk about King I don't want to get in that space but like the thing that King does is it, to me he draws too much attention to it by like being too referential to outside works or or doing this weird mix of like silly and grim. That doesn't work for me. Whereas th this, I feel it's just, it's straightforward. It's succinct, you know, it's, it's not trying to be too clever. It's not calling attention to itself. And that's the difference. And, and I don't know, that may strike some people differently, but to me, it's, it struck the perfect note here doing a similar thing that I think, like you said, Zach is bungled uh, by other writers, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I think I agree with mostly what you guys are saying. I, I would argue that this is like infinitely better than the Superman issue. Like it, this, this has me excited for this run. I, I there are still elements of the run that I don't know if I'm going to ever like love, but I feel like this is more or less what I would hope a a new Superman status quo would present. Um. Just because I feel like there are things here that we really haven't seen before. Yes, we've seen Superman, you know, potentially dying before. I'm not, you know, that idea is not a a brand new idea. But this idea of, like, John having knowledge from the future, that's something I can't really remember another Superman story doing. Not about John, just even, just, just about, you know, a character sort of having, like, knowledge of Superman's... Um, 
you know, fate or whatever. That 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 felt new and fresh to me. Um, I I like the idea that there is something that is hurting Superman from beyond this rift that we don't know what it is, and it's not just kryptonite. I feel like so many times Superman is not given plausible threats in terms of his physical, uh, you know, well-being. And while I know that that's not the point of Superman, the point of Superman is not to put him in a situation where everything hurts him. But every now and then it's nice to have a Superman story where he seems like maybe this is actually going to really impact him. So I thought that the, the sense of dread that is built into this is actually pretty interesting. I also liked the scene of the scientists on the astronaut on the spaceship rather like basically selling out Amanda Waller. I liked the idea of them being legitimately fearful for their lives and trusting Superman even though they know it's going to essentially get them in trouble with their boss. I thought that was a that was a nicely played uh moment in the story. Overall, I thought this was good. I um like I said, there are still some things I don't I don't particularly love how long it's taken us to get to this point. I feel like essentially you could have almost eliminated last issue and not lost anything story wise. I I think so. Yes, actually I agree. And so like, you know, I think if this was the first issue of the run, we'd all be feeling differently about it than if this is the second issue of the run, because this does in a way sort of retread stuff we've seen before. Yeah, and I, I think ending with the 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 Mongol stuff was uh, a, a big help too, because that that scene is so um, striking and weird. I I love like the the kind of like withered man that's with him with like one arm. He looks he looks like a broken down Mongol. Well, so here's then, my here's my question about that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Vinci. Yeah, um, we had seen Mongol in a I forget where exactly. We saw him kill his father. Yeah, I think it was in. I think it was in a Bendis Superman story. Is that the father? I I kind of thought that. Yeah, and then and then there's almost like this baby Mongol being grown in in this other almost person's like a Krang, helmet. Almost like a Krang uh, <laughs> suit. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I just love how striking and weird all that is, and 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 it feels like very. Um, they they look like. Hellboy characters to me. <laughs> well, the Hester <laughs> yeah. art helps that, right? The Hester yeah, it art does. Yeah, helps absolutely. With, with that tone, uh, and I love Hellboy, so that's that's music to my ears. I like that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that overall this was, like I said, this was much better. I do think it feels somewhat unnecessary and false. It, it feels like a, it doesn't feel like a true second part of a story. It feels like the. Oh shit! What if people don't didn't buy the first part, which we said before is not necessarily great. Um, I do want to talk about the backup for a second. Um, I like the backup a lot. I think it's a fun uh, sort of situation that we find the character of Midnighter in. My question for you guys is: Has his name always been Lucas? It it definitely has been for a while. Okay, I did not remember that. I don't remember where that was introduced, if that like dates back to the like Ellis stuff or if that is a newer thing, but I definitely know that at least in I kinda think some like at least like 
post new 52 somewhere in there that was introduced or okay. it, it existed at that point i have no recollection of that um but no vince what did you think of the backup um it was fine i, I thought it was fairly boilerplate midnighter stuff um I think that the idea that he's from the future state timeline and trying to get back is is a, a interesting wrinkle. But I think like this idea that the computer in his head is in conflict with him. I don't. We've seen that plenty. Uh, not that not that it's good or bad, but we've seen that sort of conflict. I feel like a lot in comics, and um, I don't know that there's any new wrinkle to it yet. Um, it was fine, and I'm not the biggest Oming fan. I, again, like not bad, but I'm I was still vibing on that Gleb art, and I miss that. Well, we we did we did get some of that too. We but. do get some Gleb art. We'll talk about that in a little while, but um, yeah, I think Oming did a nice job here. I'm with Zach on this one. Yeah, just not my cuppa. That's all. I forgot how much you hated Cave Carson. I didn't hate Cave Carson. What are you talking about? I don't know. This, this conversation leads me to believe maybe you did hate Cave Carson. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, let's um, let's move over then to the second book of the week. And boy, this is a doozy. Batman Superman number 16, written by Gene Lewin Yang, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. Let me let me just say something off the top here. Um, this maybe wasn't my favorite story from this event yet. Not event. This this sort so of. So it wasn't the best in continuity Superman story that we've ever had. That's not what I said. <laughs> I think it's I, close. No, it's not. Not even close. He said Superman and Batman story. I don't need, we'll check the tapes. We'll check the tapes. Let me just finish. What I'm saying is, <laughs> while this may not be my my favorite, I think this is by far the most creative and uh, impressive story we've seen as part of Infinite Frontier so far. Vince, I'm going to let you slobber all over this one for a minute. This whips so hard. <laughs> it, uh, it rules. I think, like... <laughs> But the thing that I love about it, beyond just the this like gorgeous, twisting, strange film strip panel structure um, that Brius uses, um, and the telling of the two stories simultaneously, and the just what just the concept and and the thing that I love most about it is that. I, I was set up, and maybe this is because I didn't read a whole lot about it. Other, than, I read the solicit; that was about it. I was not prepared for it to be both a like golden age slash like early uh, film film reel, ser- the the serials. Um, like I, I I wasn't ready for it to be an homage of that, but also be like totally modern and twisted and different. So like they're in these scenarios, they're using like modern technology and there's all sorts of things that didn't, there's plot elements that didn't happen in those serials. Like at one point uh, you see Alfred use the Bane venom 
to uh <laughs> to, to like hulk out and uh so i was prepared for like a blast from the past that was intentional about being a throwback but instead what i got was like a stylistic throwback with all these strange modern elements and then this weird crossover between the two and i ate every bit of that up because it felt like a it felt like a deceased or an injustice where it's this completely different universe but it's in the pages of a in continuity comic i think it was really genius in that way and it looked absolutely gorgeous the, the whole way through like to, to to pull off a thing like this you you need the art to sell a lot of it too and i think it absolutely did that um man this was good <laughs> zach uh this this was good i don't think i liked it <clears throat> as much as vince um but it was good. I the art was really good. It was very fun. It was creative. The two film strip thing was very neat. Um, the the kind of ways that these different um, versions of the DCU differ from like the the one that we know were were very fun. Uh, I think that was honestly my favorite part. The you know, Elseworlds are always cool, and these these were essentially little mini Elseworlds. Um, so, um, yeah, I I don't I don't guess I have like a ton to say about the issue, other than I am just like very excited about it and interested to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody can like it as much as Vince liked it. I think that's just uh, <laughs> that's just you know the reality of the situation here. Um, I will say this. I, I liked, I liked a lot of the serial elements of it. Uh, in part because I had just recently watched the Superman serial um, from that era, and so it was cool seeing like the Spider Lady. You know, was a character from that uh, that first Superman serial. All that stuff was fun. I think that Gene Yang just in some ways just gets comics in a way that uh, I wish more people got them like he he just gets what makes comics tick almost better than anybody else i i can think of right now he's just such a man i don't even know how to describe it i when i read his comics it's like reading a you're simultaneously reading a really exciting page turning comic and you're also reading a thesis about comics and that can be really annoying if done improperly but i think he always manages to nail the tone of those sorts of things. Um, this is the best Ivan Reyes art in quite some time, I think. I think sometimes his art can look um, a little bit just uh, a, little, a little over the top with some of its elements. I feel like this was restrained in the places it needed to be restrained and got silly when it needed to be silly. Overall, I, I, I really did enjoy this. Um, like I said, I don't know if it's my like favorite comic from this run, only because I feel like one of the joys of a new DC status quo is seeing how all this fun stuff fits together, and this sort of lives on an island, and that's not a criticism of the comic, it's just that in terms of what I'm getting excited about in my reading right now, it's more of the interconnected stuff. Um, but yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. 
any other Batman Superman takes? Vince, mm. you don't want to throw up one more, uh, one more woohoo for uh, Mary Todd, or what's is that? What's the name of that uh, Sufjan song? The woohoo for the for the polar man. For the polar, for the polar man, man right? yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, uh, no, no, okay. that's I said my piece. No more woohoos. Yeah, Mm-mm. not till next time. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, that brings us over to Detective Comics number. Gosh, what number was this? Uh, I didn't well, uh, 1034. 1034, okay. And uh, this is the first issue by the team of Mariko Tamaki and Dan Mora after their Future State run. Um, I guess I can start talking about this. I feel like we get a lot of Bat comics that are set in Gotham, but this comic takes great effort to really be about Gotham City in a way that we haven't seen a book be about Gotham in a while. I don't mean that in a way where, like, Gotham Central, where that's about the Gotham Police Department, or even, like, you know, a a bat team-up book. But this really feels about... It feels like it's about the city itself, and I, I'm not going to be a cliche and say, like, Gotham is an important character in this story, but it just feels like this is the most focused on sort of the regular citizens of Gotham, even though we're dealing with the elite here. You understand what I'm saying? It's 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 the most like Gotham focused book we've had in a while. Batman appears in two sequences and that's it. It's a lot about Bruce. It's a lot about sort of this, the status quo after um, the Joker war, which is something that I feel like in any other line of DC comics, you know, whether it's the Superman books, the Justice League books, nothing would be referenced this overtly if it wasn't in a Bat book. But the Bat books, as we've talked about before, always kind of carry over from status quo to status quo. And so this is this is very much an issue that deals with the fallout of Joker War. And I like that. This is not, to me, to me this is not necessarily as visually interesting as Dan Moore's work was on the Future State issues. But part of that is just that there's a lot of this set in like at a cocktail party or at a uh like a, a fundraiser, right? It's there's not a ton of of action in this book for Mora to go nuts on. But I thought that it looked really nice still. And um yeah, I, I was I was more or less a fan of this. Zach, what did you think of this? Um yeah I I mostly thought that this was just okay. Um, I do think that, weirdly, the art is a bit of a step down from Mora's work in Future State, like you mentioned. Um, I think this book has, a, this, or at least this arc, has kind of an interesting angle that feels very unique compared to the other bat, bat books, kind of focusing on, I guess, like the the wealthy uh you know the the uh, the elite upper class of of gotham um but like it's also probably i think maybe the gotham book i'm the least interested in right now too at the same time so i i really can't decide you know i it, it was good but it wasn't great vince yeah, I think I'm I think I'm there with you Zach on on this one where like 
I felt like the, the Dan Mora art, like mostly in this issue, he was given an opportunity to craft this like real world for, for Bruce Wayne to be in with these kind of like wealthy neighbors of his. And I think he did a great job coming up with some unique looking characters. Mm-hmm. And I think, a, I think a lot of the acting at, you know, let's say at the, at the party or, uh, you know, bet- between these regular folks um, is really well done uh, on his part. I think I think a, a lot of that stuff was really great. Uh, got across uh, the emotions clearly and, and in a dynamic way. Then there were other parts where I felt like, and I know artists hate when, when, when you make this criticism because they'll be like, well, no, I wasn't. I, that wasn't my intent or whatever. But there were moments where it looked like it was rushed a little, um, especially in the action parts, I thought, which is weird because usually it's the other way around. Usually when an artist isn't drawing action is, is when they can tend to get a little looser, you know. Um, but I certainly didn't think it was bad. Just just, yeah, a little bit of a step down. But also Mora has is churning out issue after issue of this stuff. So, um you know, since since he and Tamaki started with the future states, future state stuff, there hasn't been a fill in. Right. Um, so I feel like he's just putting out work at a pretty fast pace, which I'm you know, I'd rather I'd rather have his art than than somebody else's, I think, at this point. Um, I, I'm a pretty big fan of this. Um, that said, the story like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Zach. Like, I appreciate the different focus, but it also might be a little boring right now. Um, I think if these characters, if these like, uh, you know, wealthy elite characters or whatever that, that Bruce is palling around with open up a little more and, and, and show themselves to be more interesting people, I think that would help a lot. But as of right now, um, yeah, I, I, I like the focus, but it hasn't totally drawn me in yet. I think all that's fair. Um, I, I would I would say what I like about the focus of the book, however, is that there's no other book in D.C. right now that feels like this. Mm-hmm. For sure. Nor yeah, has there sure. been a book that feels like this for a while. And so I appreciate just having a Gotham book that doesn't feel like every other Gotham book. Yeah, sure. I, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate that because um uh you know, all all these other books feel like they just have to jam their character into a costume constantly and and not really build the world around them. Um too many, too many superhero books are like that these days, and I, I like one that's that's paced like this. I think it just maybe needs to do a little bit more with that. But yeah, yeah, that's yeah. well said, Brian. And yeah, I agree, and I think this book definitely benefits a lot just from the current status quo too. Um, just with Bruce being in a just very different setting, and so I am kind of glad this is this seems like the Bruce book, you know. Yes. As opposed to the Batman book. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would also say that while I, I don't think anything either of you guys said is unfair or untrue, I would say that with a book that is this outside of what we're used to in Gotham right now, 
it really needs to be given a couple of issues to determine whether or not this uh you know this focus for the status quo works um and i i think this issue and there was enough there to to let me give it those couple of issues without without panicking about the status quo yeah mm-hmm. um but overall, you know, I mean, look, I, I, I'm just glad that almost every book that DC is publishing under the Infinite Frontier banner has either a writer or an artist that is new to monthly DC work or is doing something that we haven't really seen either before or in a long time. There are very few books in this uh, infinite frontier that feel like they could have happened with these same creators a year or two ago. All of this feels relatively fresh and new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really good for right now. I agree with that. All right, well, let's take a break and when we return. We'll talk about the last. Oh, sorry. First, we got to talk about the backup here. I almost forgot. Oh, um, we do. Yeah. Yeah, so this this is the second part of the Robin story, uh, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Gleb Melnikoff. Uh, last time we we saw Robin, uh, he was not necessarily stepping in to stop his mother from being killed, but Psych, of course, he steps in to save his mother, and we get a little bit of a conversation about the League of Lazarus, which is seemingly the third branch of the um sort of the the al ghul uh league of assassins slash league of shadows you know uh triumvirate here and we find out that there's a tournament of sorts and this is all stuff that we learned from the solicit for the robin issue but the thing that i want to talk about and this is going to come as no surprise to anybody (laughs) is that the last page of this reveals who the champion for the League of Lazarus is, and that champion is Connor Hawk. Now, if you don't know who Connor Hawk is, in the 90s when DC was killing off a lot of its characters, uh, Oliver Queen was one of those characters killed off, and Connor Hawk was Oliver Queen's uh, illegitimate son who took up the mantle of Green Arrow for a bit. He's a character we have not seen in I mean, I, I literally cannot remember. I, I think he maybe showed up in the New 52. There was like a fake Connor Hawk in the New 52 who I don't think ever did anything heroic. Um, right. <laughs> he just existed. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a long time since we saw Connor Hawk, but I always thought the character was actually pretty interesting. I want to say the last real Connor Hawk story we got was maybe in a Convergence story. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Regardless. Who could say? Yeah, who could say? Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's really nice to see DC bringing some of these characters back. And um, I had sent a message to our friend Josh Josh Williamson about this, and uh, he just sent me back the gif of Nicolas Cage in uh, Con Air getting the wind blown through there. <laughs> and so that was that was the perfect response to my uh, my message about Connor Hawk returning. <laughs> Con Air Hawk. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, Zach, you it was go off great... while Ryan picks up that name he just dropped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Um, that was, I mean, that reveal, 
I won't say like my jaw dropped or necessarily, but like it was a good reveal. It it definitely took me off guard. It definitely surprised me, and it definitely made me a lot more interested than I already kind of was in this Robin book. So two things: tournament arc, <laughs> Connor Hawk. I'm like, okay, absolutely, yeah, I'm in. This sounds great, Gleb. Three things. Uh, I'm here for it. Yeah, this is good. Um, I, I, this, this feels made for me. I'm not even like the biggest Connor Hawk fan, but like, I, I want more Green Arrow representation in the DCU, which it seems like that's one thing that Infinite frontier i almost did it uh is really going for with like you know ollie and dinah being on the justice league um and bringing back roy and now bringing back connor um yeah it's good yeah um yeah uh I knew you were going to flip for the tournament arc, Zach, because as, as you know, as anybody who knows us knows, you and I want nothing more than comics to become manga. Uh-huh. And uh, they are becoming manga with this. And it's, at, a, at an alarming rate. It's at like an they alarming rate. More, they become manga more and more <laughs> with each week. Yes. And it rocks. It absolutely yeah. whips. I love the vibe this is going for. Like, I, I just think it has such a, you know, there's not a whole lot there's not a whole lot that can happen in this backup it's fairly short you know but like it just has this confident vibe and it's the art and it's the it's the it's the succinctness of the writing and like like Williamson just gets to the point and bringing back Connor Hawk like I can count the number of issues probably on one hand that I've ever read of DC Comics that had Connor Hawk in them uh, so I don't have any connection to the character, but what I love is I, so, so whenever there's like a relaunch or something and they're like bringing back characters or whatever, I, I don't want to see them all come out of a portal at once and say like, okay, everybody's back now, you on, know, on your left. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I found that I actually don't want that what i want is um i want all the characters back but i love the idea of bringing them back in these strange ways like connor hawk doesn't doesn't come back and all of a sudden he's part of like ollie's life again he's in this completely unexpected place to find him you know that's what i want but i want it to be done at an accelerated rate like i don't want to wait the thing that drives me nuts about DC's relaunches is that you have to wait so long to get a lot of this stuff back. You know, Rebirth happened and we basically had to wait until the end of Death Metal to like we haven't even totally made good on all that stuff yet, but like to Still mostly no make JSA book. Right, ex- that's exactly what I mean, yeah. Like we've at least made good on a lot of it. I I I want that stuff to come back, but I want it to happen at a faster pace. And I think Bringing Connor Hawk back. <laughs> would you say? Way. Would you say that you're tired of a medium pace? I'm tired of a medium pace, <laughs> and uh, don't bring up the shampoo bottle. <laughs> Conditioner is better. Um, 
<laughs> you derailed me. Anyway, I'm that's sorry. that's all I wanted to say. Like, I love the way they're bringing Connor back. I love, I love that I had no idea to expect him to be in this book, and here right. he is. Um. So here's my one question about about this though. So we are all DC fans of a certain age. We've been reading comics for a long time. If you were a relatively new reader, and I'm not talking about like the the mythical new reader that comes on board after watching Falcon and Winter Soldier number one and goes to first their comic store and then their army recruiter. I'm talking about like um, a person who's been reading comics for maybe, you know, uh, five years or so, and they they get to this page and it means it, it, it means nothing to them. They don't even know who this character is. Does the reveal not work because of that? Like, is it just too – is it too inside baseball for it to work? And we're just flipping out because we're we're guys who know, like, who this is? Or is it, um, is it legitimately good? It's – that's um, comic. That is comics. That's just what they are at this point. I, I don't think you can make a distinction. I think – um, everybody has access to Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe in how else are you going to do the, the, the I, I don't know the, the answer to that. I, yeah. I don't, I, um... I don't think, I don't think you have to, I don't think you have to worry about that. I think, you know, if it, if it, somebody's going, Oh, who's this, who's this new anime rival for, uh, uh, for Damien, you know, and if that's all they know about it, Maybe that's all they need. And yeah, they're not going to flip out in the same way that, that, that we did because we have context for this character. But like, it's nonetheless an intriguing, like, what, what comes next moment or who is this, you know, then the mystery is who is this character. And that gets explained later, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I just think, you know, it's been 80, 90 years of comics now. Like, it is what it is. You, you have to do reveals in this way. Sure. I, I guess, you know, I was thinking about other sort of long lost characters who have made their returns. Right. And this is such a minor one in such a minor book. But having like Slam Bradley own that bar in that future state issue, like if you don't know who Slam Bradley is, that doesn't change that story at all. There is there is nothing about that character's past that informs it. But if you know who it is, it's a fun little you know, nod to original DC stuff. Um, I think with this, the issue is just that if you don't know who it is, I don't know if this if this reveal meant anything. Like I, I, I think, I think the difference here is that I guess I'm I'm talking myself out of this as I'm saying it. Like like you said, it could just be his new anime rival. That that's that's a good way to put it. Um, Plus, yeah. I think, like, there is, like, at, at the genius of this isn't even, like, oh, they're bringing back Connor Hawk. It's, like, what what's the best way to, to deal with a Robin? A hawk. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fun. It's fun. It's good. Like, I, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for this Robin title. I am. Uh, well, now we can take a break now that we've discussed the, uh, the backup. And when we return, we will talk about Harley Quinn and Teen Titans Academy. So stay tuned. 
Hello, denizens of Earth-1218. We are the hosts of Make Mind Multiversity, a twice-monthly podcast, and it is I, Jake, the Taskmaster One. And I'm Elias, the Bendis One. Make Mind Multiversity is your handy guide to all things Marvel. Each month, we get into it with long looks at the careers of Marvel creators, characters, themes, whatever. Sometimes that means we dig into the X-Books of the recent-ish months, and sometimes that means figuring out which series is our monthly heavyweight champion. Sometimes we even have lists. And other times we have book clubs on Marvel series, past and present. Coming down by good old Skylaser to your podcatcher of choice every first and third Friday. Excelsior. Excelsior indeed. And we are back. Let's talk about Harley Quinn, number one, written by Stephanie Phillips, illustrated by Riley Rosmo. Uh, Zach, why don't you start us on this one? Um... I dang it! I think I like a Harley Quinn book. <laughs> this book is fun. Like Rosmo is the absolute perfect fit for this book. Um, I am just so glad. I've I've kind of wanted Rosmo on like a like kind of headlining a, a bad book ever since what was it the. Night the, of the Monster Man? Night of, yeah, Night of the Monster Man, um, which very interesting that this brings back uh, Hugo Strange here. Um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just delightful. It's really good. Um, I really love the like current Harley Quinn story or status quo, like coming out of Joker War. Um, I, I really like that she's kind of part of the, you know, just part of the group now. And... This isn't this Harley. I think is very well balanced. She's not too jokey and over the top. Um, she, I, I think she is very level. You know, um, it's just, it's just really good. I think I I like this issue a lot. <laughs> Vince, this rocked. Uh, I loved it. Yeah. Um... Everything you said, Zach, the status quo is great. Like if you're gonna do Harley as a as more of a hero than a than a than an anti hero or a you know, or a, a villain, which you're just not gonna get anymore. This is kind of the way to do it. Um I I love the post Joker War status quo of of Batman and Harley Quinn kind of endearing themselves to one another <laughs> in some ways. Um I think the yeah the balance between the humor you know it's not it's not too much it's not over the top but she's definitely you know cracking wise as as she should and um I think that was pitch perfect I think the the art is so playful and fun especially with like they're not really hallucinations that's not really the right the right term for them but like these these kind of imaginary things that that Harley is seeing, or you know, maybe it's just a visual representation to show us what's in her head, you know, of like her fight with uh, Punchline, where she gets like disemboweled in a very cartoony fashion, um, or you know, like there's a there's a couple where there's like the old uh, animated her in the animated series costume. All that stuff is just really playful and fun and well executed uh, by Rosmo. There's on every page. There's 
levels to what's going on. Things happening in the background or, you know, little Easter eggs and things. He just packs those pages just so full of stuff to look at. And it really makes for a very meaty read. Um, but not in a way where like, not in a way where like the script is intrusive or anything like that either. I think it's like a really nicely balanced script. It's, it, it was really delightful. And, and we'll talk about this in a second with Teen Titans Academy, I think too, but like, this felt like a really substantial read. Like it took me a while to read this, even though it was the standard size of a, of a big two comic these days. And, um, I think that goes for, you know, the backups in some of these books help too. And of course the price is higher, but like it's really making them feel like, like meaty reads, but not, not like overly long, not padded with, with stuff that's unnecessary. Um, I really think they're doing a great job, like editorial or, or whoever is doing a great job of making these books feel more substantial um, than maybe they have in, in the recent past. And and this is a great example of that, I think. I I definitely agree. I think all so much credit should be given to to Phillips' script here, um, both in you know it it's it is robust without feeling overly wordy. It's just like I like I said before, just like a really well written Harley Quinn who's not annoying i guess she's not obnoxious yeah she's not obnoxious yeah she's like she is she's like spunky and like what you think of with uh, with harley quinn um but yeah she's just she's just not it's not a chore to read in the way that some other harley quinn uh interpretations have been so yeah it's it's just really good when um Oh, who was it that took over Harley Quinn last? Um, hum- uh, Sam Humphreys. Humphreys, yes. When Sam Humphreys' Harley Quinn started, Vince said something along the lines of, like, I like every Harley Quinn run for five issues, and then I'm tired of it. <laughs> I think yeah. this might be the first Harley Quinn run I don't get tired of after five issues, because I really enjoy this as well. Uh, this script was... I mean, there are three issues this week in... Uh, Harley, Teen Titans Academy, and Batman Superman that I think all do really interesting things with their scripting in particular. And we'll talk about the Teen Titans one in a minute. But the thing that I thought was so endearing here was that one of the things I like about a Harley Quinn title conceptually is that usually the book tends to match her personality a little bit in that it's a little bit more chaotic, it's a little bit sillier than your normal superhero fare. This still had that, but it didn't have it so much that it felt out of place within the rest of the Gotham status quo. Like I think sometimes, especially the Palmiotti Connor, Harley Quinn, did not feel like you were reading a DC comic. It felt like you were reading a Harley Quinn comic. And this this feels firmly in the current Gotham status quo, so I appreciated that quite a bit. The script's also legitimately funny. There's a moment where Harley Quinn talks about how she should be helping the clowns because she's a licensed therapist, and Batman says, there's no way your license is current, or something like that. Like, your license <laughs> must have lapsed. Like, that's just, that's a really funny line, and it's 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 sort of just tossed off there, and it's, it's really clever. And then the Rosmo art. There's a page where Batman is fighting the clowns where all the action takes place within a silhouetted 
bat cape. Like it's all mm-hmm. it's all happening within this mm-hmm. this and it's just it's a gorgeous page. It's kind of disgusting, like how good it is. <laughs> yeah, and, and like that's not to say that Rosmo doesn't do good stuff elsewhere, but Rosmo's stuff is what I love about it is it's so fast and loose, and that it is a little bit it, it, at times everything can seem I don't want to say rush that's not the right word but the pace is so fast that you're not paying attention to every little detail because you're taking in sort of the the entirety of the story that he's telling on the page that page makes you pause and just really consider his artwork and it's it's chef kiss emoji it's so good mm-hmm. um, yeah I I also liked the idea and this is a very like logical Harley Quinn idea that she would think that the members of the Bat family get like a Bat stipend for for helping <laughs> out. Um, I appreciated that, and and the, and the script still is a little bit sweet. Like the stuff it does with with Poison Ivy, which is just she just kind of barely mentioned, but it felt honest and it felt, you know, it just felt good. This this is a really impressive first issue. I liked this far more than I thought I would. Yeah. Well said. Anything else to say about this issue? No, I don't think so. I think so. Bring like, on Hugo Strange. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like if I if I wasn't buying all the X books right now, I might be <laughs> buying all the bad books. And I feel like that's like the best compliment I can give to the line right now. Yeah. Uh, before we get to our last book, do you want to do a uh, beverage roll call? Oh yeah, sure. What are you drinking, Vince? I'm um, I'm drinking uh, raspberry iced tea, Crystal Light. Man, that Crystal Light is gonna kill you. <laughs> I mean, but it's not gonna make me fat. So, sure. Zach, what are you drinking? <laughs> uh, day old coffee and and water. Okay, I made a mixed drink tonight. Look at you. I made uh, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Water, baby. Oh, shut up. Get out of here. <laughs> I quit the podcast. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Maybe it was. Okay. Uh, let's get to the final book. Let's get to uh, Teen Titans Academy, number one, written by Tim Sheridan, illustrated by Rafa Sandoval. Um, you guys know I'm going to love this. So, Zach, why don't you start talking before I get into it? I mean, this book doesn't have any right to rule as much as it does. <laughs> like... It's unreasonably good. Um, so I just got done comparing the Batman line to the Bat books, and this is like to the, or the Batman line to the to the X books, and this is like the closest that DC has come to doing an X Men book in years. You know, <laughs> like just straight up. Also, X Men book it, in future Foundation costumes. Y- yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Uh huh. Yeah. Why isn't Hickman writing this? It's because Tim Sheridan's doing it, and he's doing a great job. Um, like, I just can't. I can't get over how good this is. I was gonna say this is doing the thing that we always want DC Comics to do, which is like move the kind of like previous next generation into the the leading role. Um. Uh, this is just like perfect. I I love everything about this. <laughs> Vincy? Yeah, it's it's continuing all the good stuff that we said about uh, Tim Sheridan's Future State um books, which is that like 
first of all, it packs the the pages full of uh, things going on and like plot elements. But but like not only that, but it just gives character to everybody too. You know, like not every Teen Titan gets their own moment in this issue, but based on how many do, I'm confident that you know, in this opening arc, everybody's going to get a little something to do. I'm, I'm confident nobody's going to get left in the lurch just based on how this issue went. And, uh, you know, they introduce a half a dozen new student characters. Closer and, to a dozen, I think, actually. Well, maybe, but yeah. Well, what I, what there's, I was going to say though, is like, you know, yeah. yeah, what I was going to say is I can tell you a little bit about a half a dozen of them. Probably, okay. Fair enough. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there, there's some clever characters here, like Stitch is a very clever uh, concept for a character. Um, Brick, who bricks telephones with an EMP, or technology in general, I guess. Um, again, like, a very goofy superhero thing, but, like, totally relevant, and, and I can see w- where they're going to mine conflict out of that. And um, Gorilla Greg? Gorilla Greg, yeah, and just... Yeah, this like danger room style training that they do and Dick as a well, all of them as teachers, but like Dick is like the headmaster or whatever. Or I don't know, maybe Corey's the headmaster. They kind of are like co-leaders, it seems. Um, Also might be getting back into it on the side. You never know. (laughs) Um, But I like that that little like hint to their former romance was in there. This is also X-Men polyamory. Yeah. Um, yep. Like, because we also know that he and Babs are maybe yep. a thing. Oh, God. Currently, I love... too, so. So I'm not one of those, like, people who, like, ship characters and, and like, talk about it online or anything. But I do love a good triangle. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, like, if that's what they're setting up here, like, oh, those are so, mwah, those are all always such, like, juicy opportunities for drama, right? Like. These comics are soap operas, right? You got to have a little bit of that. And I feel like that, um, Brian, like you said with the Detective Comics issue, that is also a thing like superhero romance and like the foibles surrounding that is something that has been like not completely absent, but pretty lacking since the New 52 started, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they tried to do it with Superman and Wonder Woman. It didn't really stick and they never really... They don't really go for those like meaty conflicts anymore between between characters in a romantic fashion. And I, I feel like if they're setting something up in that direction, like oh, it's going to be it's going to be good. It's, it has the potential to be good. There's just so much to like about this. And Rafa Sandoval. So, you know, it looks detailed and gorgeous and and uh, it's yeah. I, I love this. I'm over the moon. I can't wait. It's it's probably my favorite book so far, or at least the one I'm going to probably be looking most forward to uh, month to month in Infinite Frontier. Yeah. Well, it pulled me over. 100%. I, I Go off, with, I agree with everything you guys said. I, I want to highlight a couple of things here. Um, I love the structure of the book in that we get this new set of characters that are like the new recruits. Basically, it's like Police Academy 3 uh back in training. <laughs> or rather the, the the new the new class best Police Academy 3. 
whatever. Uh, but it's like we get these new characters, right? But we're not throwing out the old Teen Titans with the bathwater. Like we still have Red Arrow and um, you know uh, Kid Flash hanging around, and uh, what's what's the, the the kid who turns into the ball? Um, uh, gold balls. Not gold balls. No, I, I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted house. to call them gold balls. Too. Roundhouse, right? Um, like He's round... got big balls. He tells yeah, you that. He does tell you that. Yeah. Um, but like, I like that those characters are like the upperclassmen at the school, and so that gives them like they are the Teen Titans right now. And then there's the Titans who are the professors. It just it. You guys know how much I love my Titan stuff, and this gives like a real nice form to the different generations of Titans. Mm -hmm. It's it's really good. Calling it the Roy Harper Academy is such a Jean Grey Academy thing, but I love it. Um, there's just you know, there's so much good stuff here, and then we gotta talk about the Red X stuff. So I I am not I never watched the Teen Titans cartoon when I was younger. I've never seen it, so Red X has no real connection to me as a as a character but i think that that sheridan has done such a good job of seeding all this mystery without it feeling too heavy-handed like there's there's a lot you get a lot of conjecture and a lot of whispers about red x but we really don't know who red x is what red x did all of that is left very much um up in the air this scene, which is the Nightwing birthday party scene, is referenced in the Future State Teen Titans book. We get a flashback to it a little bit, and so uh, it, it's cool to see it here. I mentioned this when I spoke to Tim Sheridan on the show. This That scene where basically, uh, is, I guess it's Dick and Cyborg and Donna are talking about Dick getting the red x mask how they're kind of like they're whispering in the middle of this big party and so there's all this stuff happening in the foreground there's a uh, arm wrestling competition happening and so you're kind of looking at that but you're kind of paying attention to the whispers it's one of the most masterfully written scenes i've seen in a comic in a really long time because it you instantly know exactly what's going on like that sounds that doesn't that doesn't give it the gravity i want to give this scene I feel like there's oftentimes comics try to do they try to present a scene where multiple things are happening and it just becomes chaos but this clearly shows you the two different things happening and you're following both really well and it looks almost like the older Titans characters are not paying attention to the kids but then Dick gives that speech and he he basically uses what's happening in the foreground of the prior couple of pages as an object lesson to teach the kids about responsibility. It's just, it's such a well-written scene. And Sheridan has barely written written any comics before this. How is this guy so good? <laughs> I, I just I just don't get it. It's really, it's, it's crazy. Um, Sandoval's art is so good. I love the way he draws that Stitch character. That's a very funny character. Uh, he has a lot of different types of characters to draw here, and he does all of them really, really well. I just hope that there's enough space in this comic to give all of these characters the spotlight that they deserve. And I hope this book lasts long enough that this isn't the only class we see. I would like to see some of these people. Because one of the things that Dick says in his, or I think maybe Corey says in her introductory speech, one of them says it in their speeches they give, is about um, how some people 
will not join the Teen Titans when they graduate, but they're given like the opportunity to learn with them. So I hope that we see in the future other graduating classes and other people join the team and other folks go off and do their own thing. This just sets up a pipeline of new DC characters in such a nice way. I, I hope this book gets gets to run an, a full Asriel. <laughs> I hope it gets to run two Asriels. Oh, oh. yes, absolutely. When yeah, was the last time those funny cigarettes? When was the last time a book went more than 150 issues? I thought Asriel's 100. When's the last time yeah, it went past 150? As, as, uh, 150. Yeah, like in a row, not not a renumbering situation. When's the last time a book got? Uh, spawn. I don't know. <laughs> I no. really, I really uh, can't think DC, of DC and Marvel, or yeah, yeah. Uh, was how long did the X Factor X Factor made it to like three hundred? Yeah, but it got renumbered a few times. Oh, it did. Yeah, like before it made it to three hundred. Yeah, uh, definitely. All right, never mind then. Yeah, because there was like. The Peter David. Well, was it? Wait, was it JLA then? Was it? Um, there was that JLA. I don't. No, JLA know didn't make JLA. it that big. I don't think that I don't think. No. The Morrison JLA, no. the one that Morrison started. It got close. I think it got to like the one twenties or the one thirties. That might I mean, be the one twenty six. Yeah, damn. It's just. Crazy. I mean, I mean, that's that's a good guess, right? That is a guess. That's that's. I I thought it just got. The, I thought it got to just over a hundred. So you're, you're certainly closer than I would I would have thought. Yeah, I just I can't remember last last time a book went for that long at all. One of the longest runs that we've had, like in modern comics, is Josh Williamson's Flash, mm-hmm. which is crazy because that. I mean, if it wasn't for double shipping, that wouldn't have got to a hundred issues, but. That's just that's the reality that we live in now. Um, yeah, Teen Titans Academy is so dope. It's great. It's fantastic. So this is the time of the show when I would normally ask Vince what's coming out next week, but there's only one comic coming out next week that we're going to be talking about, and that is the first issue of this new Infinite Frontier Flash run. So what we're going to do next week is we're going to talk about the Flash, and then we are going to rank all the first issues that we've had so far from Infinite Frontier and come up with a uh, you know, a definitive ranking of the books so far. And I have to say, with only one book left, I don't think there's been a 100% clunker bad issue yet. Yeah, I mean, I think the closest one was that issue of Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that wasn't bad. It just wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. This is fun, guys. Comics being good, who who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk? <laughs> I mean, they've they've been good for a while in some places, right? In certain areas, <laughs> mm. in a place like uh, Krakoa, shall we say? Uh-huh, yeah, that's it. They fell off. No, they didn't. You're a madman. <laughs> you're, I don't you're know. If also, they fell the off guy who said like, "Oh, Hellions isn't good. I I don't like it." When you hadn't even read the good issues yet. I, I read the first three or whatever it was. Those aren't know. the good ones. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I, hey, I'm a busy man. I can't wait around <laughs> for the good ones, my friend. They had, th- they had three months to get me. Oh. 
Oh, I love you. I love you too, man. You're yeah. still not going to get my Bud Light, though. <laughs> Zach is way too young to remember those commercials. <laughs> Come on, what are you talking about, Vincey? <laughs> All right. He, here's a sentence I never thought I'd say on the show. We're only, hang on. I love that, like, Zach and I are yeah. only like, two years apart. <laughs> uh-huh. but, Zach, there's, like, a, there's like an entire world but of there, there is. But the, di- the difference is you have older siblings, though, right? Yes, yes. Okay. See, I'm a firstborn, and that that makes a difference because right. you because were that introducing that you're the, the things yeah. that I wasn't. Yeah, right. yeah. Vince, do you remember the again? It said it's never thought I'd say in the show. Do you remember the Mad TV parody of that commercial? <laughs> Probably. I yeah. It, it, it was it, it was it was two guys fishing, and uh, one guy had like long scraggly hair. And it ended with someone saying, uh, you're not getting my kidney, David Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> and then did the characters end up in a fist fight? Probably. Because it's Mad every, TV. Every, every Mad TV sketch was either super racist or ended in a fist fight between the characters. Oh, and sometimes it was both. I think I just saw that a Mad TV cast member was nominated for an Oscar. I forget who it was, though. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, like I think so. like like these Oscars? No, I, I don't know if it was these were last year. Um, but like it was, they were saying that basically it's it's crazy that a Mad TV actor has been nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, I can't think of who that would have been. Was Jordan uh, Peele nominated for an Oscar for a screenplay or something? Oh, yeah, he's been nominated for Best Director, I believe. Yeah, he's he's the first Mad TV writer or performer to win an Oscar for his screenplay okay. for Get Out. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's what it was. Well-deserved, too. Yes, absolutely. It's just funny to me that there's a Mad TV alum who has won an Oscar. That is that is very fun. I thought it was going to be Will Sasso. Uh, didn't personally. we all? <laughs> didn't we all? Uh... I, I was hoping it was Andy Daly because I'm a big Andy Daly fan. But yeah, big, yeah, Andy Daly was good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Alex Borstein, I believe, multi Emmy winner. The less said about I... her on Mad TV, the better, I'd say. There's there's a lot of racially <laughs> imp- improper things that happen there. What are you talking about? <laughs> you I'm know what I'm talking about. I'm gonna try to get you to do an impression. I don't know nope. what you're talking about. Nope. You're gonna, have to, you're gonna it. have to tell me. You're gonna have to give me an example. Can you do a voice? Uh, no, I can't. I have lost the ability <laughs> to do impressions. So you used to do that voice, is what you're saying? <laughs> Fuck you. Anyway, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app, and I am at Walker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is posting on the Mad TV uh, Reddit channel right now, subreddit right now, and uh, I'm just... buying Mad TV NFTs. <laughs> The fact that I understand every part of that sentence makes me mad. <laughs> anyway, don't thank- buy NFTs, folks. Yeah, please don't buy NFTs. Um, yeah, that's all. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. I think, Vince, you really just need to just 
disconnect from the discourse. <laughs> I don't even participate, though. I just observe it. I'm just. I, no, I'm you tempted, need to I'm stop. You, you, you said you said that you checked the trending tab. That's the sickest thing I've heard all month. That is that why, is insane. Why would you ever <laughs> check the trending tab? You you check the trending tab. You go to RDC Comics like. You set yourself up for failure. 